Hey folks, this is Brett Jacobson, your host of the Airport Wild podcast. In today's episode, we have two wildlife biologists from Lumakers Wildlife Management that are going to share some stories of their highs and lows of being an airport wildlife biologist. So sit back, relax, hope you enjoy today's episode, and as always, thanks for listening. everybody and welcome to another episode of the airport wild podcast uh, i am your host today brett jacobson and today's episode as always is provided by loom acres and these shows uh especially like today's show are usually my favorite uh, we have two biologists that work for loom acres we have Cata wingfield and brooke morgan brooke is in nebraska where apparently it is very humid today and she is not craving cheesecake. And Kat is in Kansas. So Brooke, how is your day so far? Well, um, we've been having gorgeous weather here in Nebraska until this week. Uh, We have fog and rain and high humidity, which is fantastic for growing season. The corn and beans are going to sprout like none other after this week. But when it comes to wildlife work, it kind of makes it a little more hectic and a little more complicated. Okay. Uh, the reason being is just because uh, we have a lot of goal issues here in Nebraska with uh, them coming and feeding on the pavement with the worms when the pavement gets moist. So I have to kind of be out there for patrolling a little bit more than usual and then also trying to complete bird surveys. It's not really productive to do bird survey when it's pouring outside because there's not many birds out. So it's been a little little tasteful this week, and it's only yeah. Monday. And I'm sure that's got to be hell on your hairdo, right? The humidity. Oh, wait, I mean, big hair day right now. Big hair day, yeah. Just letting it flow like the 80s. All right. Oh. So you've been on the show before, so we're not going to – I won't uh, uh, bore you with a bunch of, a bunch of stuff, uh, questions that you've already answered But Kat, this is your Airport Wild podcast debut. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're working and all that good stuff. Go ahead. Okay. Um, So I'm Kata. I'm working at the Hutchinson Airport in Kansas. Um, And uh, I also work at... um, well, I work for a contracting company that takes care of the big fish tank at Cabela's. That's my other job. So that's really fun. Um, yeah. Nice. So where did you go to school? Where, uh, what college did you go to? What degree do you have? And, uh, and, and talk a little bit about that. So my degree is in marine biology uh, with a minor in sustainability and environmental studies. And I went to school here in Kansas. Surprisingly, Kansas has a school for marine biology um, (laughs) in Winfield, Um, but I did my field work in um, Mississippi at the Gulf Coast Research Lab. I did two summers there, um, super field-heavy classes, Um, 
that was really fun. Nice. So I can't, I mean, obviously, like you said, Kansas has a marine biology uh, program. But, and obviously, you know, you're working at the fish tank in Cabalas, which great picture over the weekend, by the way. Um, yeah, how much, you know, how much water time did you get in college, uh, you know, kind of hands-on studying marine biology at the University of Kansas? Um, it was, it's actually Southwestern College in uh, Winfield. Um, oh, okay, sorry about that. No, you're good. Um, so while I was at Southwestern in Winfield, most of my field work came from, I um, I was a student mentor for this class called Science, Science Society and the Environment. Yeah, and um, we just took students out to like, there was a field station with like an off the grid cabin that they did studies on um, once a week. But most of my field work came from the summer at the Gulf Coast Research Lab, um, like the most, field heavy class I took was uh, marine ichthyology and that class was intense. <laughs> um, we would go out at like seven and come back at like dinner time, spend that entire time out seining, um, like not uh, at the beach, at different like ponds, even like the overpass under the highway. Like <laughs> we were just seining and seining, pulling 50 foot sands through like mud like that sometimes there was silt that like I my leg sunk down and was entirely encased in silt and we had to drag this like sane through it just collecting fish that whole time and then we would be back around dinner time and eat and then we would spend the rest of the evening and into the night um IDing fish in the lab using dichotomous keys so that was like that was the most field time that I spent but I spent two full summers um at the Gulf Coast Research Lab taking different classes. Sounds like you did community service. Uh, <laughs> yeah. More than anything. So Brooke, you kind of, you, you similar, right? You went, uh, obviously a biology degree. Where'd you go to school? And you did quite a bit of interesting field work, right? So I went to school at SUNY Cobleskill up in upstate New York for wildlife management. It's a bachelor of technology degree. And I did the same thing, like where I had a really field heavy course as Cata did, um, just a lot, a lot of hours out in the lab, either collecting wetlands, uh, wetland data, fish data, kind of whatever class I was taking that semester. And then after I graduated, I moved to Southern Idaho and worked on a sage grouse project where we would trap uh, sage grouse hens with these really big, like almost like butterfly nets or dip nets, depending on what world you kind of live in. And we would trap them and collar them with radio collars and use telemetry. And then I moved over to the fishery side because kind of just started applying for everything. I knew I wanted to play a little bit with the fisheries world and see if I liked it. And I did enjoy my time over there, but definitely like the terrestrial side a little bit better. Um, over in the fishery side, I worked at a steelhead hatchery, worked on some salmon research. And um, oh, I did a high mountain lake survey uh, job for a little bit too. Yeah, so one thing, you know, obviously when I started this job, I had no idea of pretty much anything biology related or didn't even know that, you know, there was such a thing as airport wildlife biologists, right? But I remember one of our first episodes that we did together, you talked a little bit about, you know, fish hatcheries. And I don't think I've eaten fish 
at a restaurant since that was <laughs> that wasn't something that I caught because of your story of uh, the stories of the fish hatcheries and the oh, yeah. uh, quality right. of fish. So uh, thanks for that. You've ruined that for me. You're welcome. <laughs> so um, okay, obviously you know you guys have to start somewhere. So I know this is kind of going back. I mean, I'm a little bit older than both of you. So this is going back a lot more for me than it is to you. When you were in high school or even before then, you know, what were some of the things that you were trying to, uh, that you were thinking about in pursuing, you know, your educational career in biology? Um, where did that start from? We'll start with you, Kat. Um, so, Mine kind of came in two parts. Um, my great-grandparents have a farm that I grew up um, on a lot. I hunted and fished and rode horses and worked cattle, and I was outside all of the time. Um, and especially in the hunting, like, dissecting animals was, I mean, that sounds like a horror story, but, but I was really interested in, like, the biology part of it, like, in knowing what did what and like why everything was the way that it was and then the other half is my parents um took my brother and i on these giant road trips their goal was to get us to all 50 states before we graduated and we didn't quite make it to all 50 but we traveled a lot and so i saw a lot of the country um and i i loved the beach like so i knew like and aquariums too so Honestly, I just wanted something that I would never be bored at. Like, I I feel like if you have to work, you should do something that you're you're not gonna get bored with. And I love fish. I don't know. It's just my thing. All right, so you're kind of you're you're, you're so Little Mermaid was probably your favorite movie growing up. Is that what we're going? Finding with? Nemo. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Hang on. We are gonna start. All right, Brooke, so same question to you. Um, obviously, Kata had a lot of experience on the farm and stuff like that. What was kind of your background, uh, if different or similar to hers? Um, so I also grew up outside as well. And like, I grew up around my father hunting all the time. And I didn't really get into hunting until I was older, like in the college years. But I grew up shooting guns and just kind of going out on hikes and all that. So then when high school came around, I actually was going to go for animal science. I decided the day before I was moving up for my freshman year to SUNY Cobleskill, I changed to wildlife management on a whim. I was like thinking about it all senior year of high school. And then one day I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I really didn't know what kind of doors I was opening for myself. And it's been quite the adventure since then. I really thoroughly enjoyed that decision and never regret it ever. Like I remember sitting in terrestrial ecology, which wasn't exactly the most exciting class in college. I mean, like, I can't believe I'm sitting here learning about the types of grasses or I get to touch snakes during herp lab or whatever fisheries class I was taking. And the fact that my friends were learning like liberal arts and math classes and their, you know, their uh, colleges and I was out and running around basically wild in labs doing all sorts of th fun things. Like it was just totally different world. Yeah. I was definitely that guy that was, uh, I took every easy class in college 
because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I, I kind of grew up, I grew up in the outdoors and I don't know, I, I always, I don't know, my mom always says, like I was born to be like an outdoorsman or something like that. But, and I went to a school um, and I played basketball in college and I went to a school that was all about like forestry and, and uh, um, you know, for, and conservation and biology and whatnot. But I literally took, like I took bass fishing, I took golf, I took every liberal arts course I could take just to make my schedule easier. And then now, Later in life, I'm like, man, if I would have known now what I knew then about college, like I would have completely done it differently. So I'm super envious of you guys. Um, way to go. I'm jealous. So um, what are some of the things, you know, thinking back then, you know, like I just told you my story. If you're, you know, to come across somebody half in half out of maybe thinking about going to college for biology what advice would you give them and kind of you know maybe guide their path we'll start with you Brooke uh so a big deciding factor for you know going into wildlife management obviously you know gotta make sure you're gonna enjoy being outside in any kind of weather there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You're, you're going to work a job. It's going to be negative 20 degrees and snowing, and it's going to suck, but you have to somewhat enjoy that. Um, and then also, I always, always, always press to everyone who wants to get, who wants to be a wildlifer, who wants to get into fisheries, you're going to have to travel. You're going to have to leave home. You're going to have to move away. Unless you live in, like, the blessed states of Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado, you know, those big wildlife states that like, you know, they, the way the state really funds a lot of things is hunting and fishing. But if you're back East or, you know, even in the South, you're gonna have to move to get jobs because you have to get experience. And the only way to do that is to bounce from job to job, or you go to grad school, which you still might have to move for that as well. Like you kind of have to be really open to living that lifestyle. And if you're not, then it's, it's going to make it really complicated. And I, have friends who are still struggling to find jobs because they won't leave their hometowns. Kat, hmm. same question to you there, bud. What, uh, <laughs> what would you tell some, uh, some high school students that were looking into getting to uh, wildlife management or biology or, or forestry? I definitely second the, you're going to have to travel. Like that's just part of it. You have to go where the work is until you get a bunch of experience. Um, but also, um, hmm. I know it's a, it's a good question. I know I, I thought really hard yeah. about it, but <laughs> like one of the things, you know, I hear a lot from you guys too, is not to, to beat the point, but with, uh, you know, the job market, what, how, yeah. how hard was it to break into this industry or what was your first break? We'll start there. Uh, so, when I first got out of college, I wasn't really ready to move away. So, like, the college that I went to, uh, the way that they charge tuition is flat rate per semester. So, I totally went ham and graduated, like, three semesters early. So, like, in two and a half years, I graduated, like, a month before my 21st birthday, which sounds super impressive, but I was so burned out. Like, do not recommend. Um, but 
it took a while for me to get my first job and even that ended up I ended up in a lab and it was like 12 hour shifts in a lab with no windows and I was literally dying and then I um my first job like pertaining to my degree was I had to move to Rhode Island um and I worked on fishing boats as a fisheries observer and that was that was a huge change but I totally loved it um but yeah I mean you have to be willing to travel like to go where the jobs are it's kind of random and even after that I ended up learning how to groom dogs to like give myself you know I have like a backup skill yeah Um, so what do you like go back to your Rhode Island days there what do you what what did you actually do while you're on fishing boats what does that entail so I was deployed on commercial fishing trips like some of them were day trips some of them the longest I was out was like eight days on a squid boat and it's um you go on the trip and you take like a certain percentage of each haul um and you separate like your basket of fish by species and then you weigh it out and you like get you have to like extrapolate to get an idea of how much of each fish they're actually catching like rather than just like what they're catching for I mean you take that information too like what they're going for and how much of that they estimate that they got and like what gear they're using um stuff like that and then you take like biological samples and stuff and they send that into Woods Hole in Massachusetts and they use that data to like so for example the most sensitive um one that I was on was those big like midwater trawls the herring boats where they catch like a half a million pounds of herring in one tow um which is like they have to use these giant pumps to like haul all the fish on board but that data I uploaded in real time and like because there are other the river herring are sometimes caught accidentally and they're a protected species so if I turned in my data that said that they caught as like this many herring not the kind that they were fishing for then they would shut that fishery down like that's wow. kind of the point of the job yeah because it'd be like okay you're, you're catching too many protected species um kind of move on yeah that's awesome yeah i know um so i know brooke you have quite a bit like we talked about earlier you've got some some serious hatchery stories but what was your first break you know, out, out of college. I mean, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if you went cat's route and took 97 credit hours a semester to graduate in two years, but what was, um, what was your bit, what was your first, uh, your first break outside of college? Um, so it was the sage-grouse job and I didn't take my college courses in two years, but I did do three and a half. Um, I did kind of rush it a little bit and I did an internship over the summer, which kind of also helped the process speed up. But I went out to work with the University of Idaho on that stage dress project that I touched a little bit on before. Um, I was working down in Southern Idaho, about 15 miles from the Nevada border. And like I said, I was trapping and tracking stage grouse to, we were basically looking to see how cattle grazing affects, um, sage grouse nesting and the how productive they are if they are nesting within cattle grazing pastures and it's a huge study with university of idaho i think it's it's either a seven or ten year study and i was on year 
five or six. So, uh, you know, the study's already been kind of going on. They had their study sites pretty much set. And um, I worked at the one study site with two other people and we had, you know, multiple pastures that we had to track birds in and just looking for mortality rates and then also, you know, successful uh, brooding. So having, you know, the mom lay the eggs, chicks hatch, chicks actually survive, which wasn't usually the case, but there were a few survival uh, brooding groups, which was really nice to work with. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, listening to you guys talk just now, I, uh, I just realized that I'm probably the dumbest person in, this, in the room right now, um, <laughs> which is awesome. It took me uh, four years to graduate a two-year d- degree, so that's awesome, but you know, I'm glad you guys, uh, you know, you got your education as fast as you did. It's great. Um, anyways, so now you guys, now tell me a little bit, Brooke, like you, obviously now you, you, you kind of, you have the title of being an airport biologist, right? We, we throw that term around in this industry, you know, especially with trainings and stuff, you know, FAA certified airport wildlife biologist. Um, what is the, I guess you could say, what's the difference between being just a wildlife biologist and an airport wildlife biologist? And please don't state the obvious of working on an airport, but <laughs> uh, what are some of the differences, you know, obviously you've worked in Idaho, you've worked in Wyoming, you've worked all over the place, and now you're obviously working and servicing an airport. So just kind of go into that a little bit. So, I mean, I honestly don't see that many different, so, where do I want to start? Um, state programs have biologists or, you know, landowner sportsman coordinators or whatever their title might be with the state agency, or even, you know, the feds, the USDA, wildlife services and all that have people who do depredation work and they're technically like, they might not be called biologists, but same concept where they do depredation work and the thing is, is like for us, like, I guess, you know, it's just because we're contracted to an airport, which is stating the obvious, but it is the big difference is, you know, we work on an airport and that's what we do. But we also, you know, like other biologists, we do surveys to, um, excuse me, uh, to manage, you know, bird populations in the area and to follow that around. And we, uh, so we do conduct surveys that biologists would go and conduct and we do, we collect data that we analyze each month. That's what a biologist would do if they were for anything else. So it's kind of, it's pretty similar. Like there's not too much of a difference of being an airport biologist and a wildlife biologist. It's just, we study something different and do a lot of depredation where, you know, a wildlife biologist might only, you know, be studying mule deer movement in Wyoming for the last 20 years. Nice. Yeah, that's one of the things that stood out when, you know, I've got a couple of buddies that, you know, also went to Cobleskill or Paul Smith. And, you know, they tell me about all the, the field work that they did. And it was pretty much the same thing over and over and over again each and every day. Kat, do you feel like, you know, being an airport wildlife biologist, each day might be a little bit different with a little bit different challenges? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I see something different every time I go out. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. It's, uh, I got to hear the story here. So when you first, when we first started talking a couple months ago, let's hear the legend of the turkeys in Hutchinson, Kansas. Okay. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I let me start by saying I I don't play a lot of video games like but Skyrim is my game I have a Skyrim tattoo <laughs> um and I literally started out and like continued just like a quest I was like I reality is not real <laughs> I'm living a video game this is a quest so it started with an email from the chief of police of Hutchinson that said like <laughs> like it literally said we have a gang of very aggressive turkeys wreaking havoc on the city <laughs> and asked me you know can I try to do something about that and I was like okay <laughs> so I and they gave me like where they had last been seen and actually that same day so my mom is friends on Facebook with a teacher here and they were having a debate tournament and she had posted that there were turkeys outside the alternative school that weren't letting them in like they were late to the tournament because the turkeys wouldn't let anyone like near the school to get in the building and it, that's the day that the police um emailed me so I went over there and and I found them attacking cars like um they were in like a neighborhood when I first found them and they came up to my truck and they were pecking and very angry <laughs> they were indeed very aggressive and I was like I'm kind of afraid to get out of the car but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do and I look up and someone had painted a mural of a turkey like in that area I was like this is a joke this is like someone is just playing a really big joke on me but no it wasn't a joke i so I got a hold of the police and and Cody trying to figure out like, okay, so what what tools can I use here? Like, do I have a plan? Like, what can you know? And the police basically outlawed all of my tools. Um, they said I couldn't use any air rifle, not even a paintball gun in town, and like they were in the middle of town, so I couldn't like chase them out of town because there was a lot of town to get through to get to the edge of town. Um, and I couldn't, they didn't want me to, um, depredate them in front of the citizens because apparently the citizens of Hutchinson love their, um, turkeys, <laughs> except that I, so Cody's best suggestion for me was to go to the dollar store and pick up a broom and like beat them. And so that's what I did. I went to the dollar store and I got a broom and then I sat on the side of the road while they were like there was like lines of cars in both directions like that they couldn't get through because the turkeys were standing in the middle of the road pecking like their reflection in the chrome and i had to like use my broom to beat them out of the road so that a car could pass so that was like that was kind of my excitement <laughs> while they were here and then they moved on eventually by themselves and everyone knew about it so i'm wondering if it's like an annual thing like, maybe they just, like, blow through town every, like, spring and wreak havoc on the city, so. When you, were, when you were graduating college in two and a half years, did you ever think that you would be in the middle of a road chasing turkeys with a broom? I did not, no, but I, I'm not, I'm not disappointed in this direction my life has taken. I'm pretty happy with it. Oh my God, no. I mean, one, that's an amazing story. And two, I mean, like, it, you, there's certain stories that you just can't make up. And I remember when you, sent, yeah. Yeah, when you sent me a video of these turkeys literally just walking up to your truck and pecking your hubcaps. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. 
yeah and it's like all right hand-to-hand -hand combat at that point yes but, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so brooke yeah you're well traveled uh <laughs> any stories of just like when you look back you're like man college did nothing to prepare me for this gig <laughs> Oh, no, honestly, my college, like, and my degree and my professors were very blunt and very prepping when it came to real world situations. Like, my one fisheries professor, he was an amazing guy, but he definitely screamed at you like an asshole boss would scream at you. And <laughs> when he'd be electrofishing, like, he would be like, get that fucking fish in the net, blah, blah, get it, like, just screaming <laughs> off at you. And it was all for, like, you knew he didn't mean it in a mean way, and he was actually a very nice guy. But... In that moment when you're freezing and you're trying to not trip over rocks in a freezing cold stream and you're still trying to cut these damn fish, you kind of got prepared and like working in labs in all sorts of situations. Like I had somebody ask me when I was working for a fishing game in Idaho, they're like, what's your favorite kind of weather to work in? And I was like, the weather that's occurring outside, <laughs> just because there's usually not a choice. Um, and, you know, like I never really traveled that much growing up. So I think that was like my biggest thing is I learned how to travel. You know, I went on my first road trip um, in the middle or between my junior and senior year of college. And I road tripped out to Idaho with my boyfriend at the time. And I fell in love. I saw the Rockies and I was like, what have I been doing hanging out on the East Coast for so long? Like, what is wrong with me? So after that, I kind of just, you know, I picked up ways how to live out of a car, how to live out of a camper, how to go backpacking like I kind of just started learning survival skills which obviously college didn't prepare me for but it prepared me in the idea of you kind of have to be pretty flexible with your lifestyle and became a little bit more of a gypsy than I think most people appreciate but I've always liked it so I have been loving the life that this career has given me yeah so I you know obviously I, I don't have too many stories like that I recently went on a uh, a hunting trip where I pretty much lived out of my Toyota Camry and out of a tent in the backwoods of Southern Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky. And <clears throat> it was so much fun. And it just felt so almost like, I don't want to use the word liberating, but like you're living out of a backpack or out of the trunk of your car and uh with a tent and it was just a different way of living and it was a lot of fun um i know cat obviously you had mentioned that you spent eight days on a on a boat um what's kind of i don't know i'll leave it up to you we'll start with you what's kind of the wilds you know kind of most unique way you've uh you've lived off the land a little bit either while working or you know school-wise um well, non-work, I mean, I've stayed in my car, like, well, short-term, at least, uh, <laughs> moving, so I moved from Kansas to Rhode Island, I have a tiny car, and my husband has a tiny car, and so, like, we stuffed everything we could fit in our little cars, and just, like, drove across the country, and then when we moved from Rhode Island, Rhode Island to Florida, we, we drove straight through, right, um, so that was kind of, I guess the closest, well, that, that's the most time that I spent in my car in a row anyway, but, um, <laughs> working, working, 
uh yeah eight days was the longest i spent on a boat um i i one trip at a time um but the thing about fishing boats is they really don't have bathrooms so um <laughs> no shower uh eight days of like digging through like baskets of fish getting squid juice and fish juice like everywhere um and no shower uh, how fast on... do you get used to it how long does it take you to get Pretty used to all fast. that yeah i was surprised <laughs> when i got off and i got in the car and then like suddenly i could smell myself again and i was like disgusting like i was like i gotta go home and take a shower now but, but until i got off the boat it was fine like i didn't really like i don't know my hair was greasy but like <laughs> i did not realize that it was that bad um but a lot of those boats don't even have toilets so like you're mostly you know using a bucket or just like squatting on deck and, like, it off. <laughs> yeah. all right brooke you're up what's the most uh crazy way of living that you did either in school or for work um, well, there was living on a bird colony island off of the coast of Connecticut. There was when I was backpacking, so I'd be eight days in the National Forest of Idaho. Um, and then I'd go back to living in my car for a little while, which I did for about a month. And then I also lived in a camper with no running water and no heats during fall time. So where would you like me to start? <laughs> Pick, man. Dealer's choice. Um, so I think it's kind of funny now that I look back because when I worked on the island, you know, not showering for multiple days on end was kind of like weird for me. Like I was definitely a daily shower person, like always shaved, like all that kind of stuff. And then I went and got this job when I started backpacking and doing high mountain lakes work. And that's eight days of just being out there. And then you realize you don't need all of like, you don't need to wash your hair every single day. You don't need to use shampoo or conditioner. You don't need to use deodorant. It's all, uh, like it's a conspiracy in my mind now because I'm just like, you get your body so used to using these fake odors that like when you stop using it and you go back to natural, your body actually doesn't need them. And I kind of like really grasped that idea when I went from my backpacking job and then went and did, um, when I worked, lived in the camper, I was in the Sawtooth National Forest out of Stanley and I didn't have running water at my camper. And I mean, I had a way to shower, but I was like, what is the point of showering when I'm going to smell like fish tomorrow and I'm going hiking and I'm still going to be gross. So it's like, you're just wasting resources at that point and your body just really customized itself to not doing any of that kind of stuff. So I kind of went on full hippie and <laughs> my friends really like, they loved it for me because they knew I was really happy, but they'd be like, you stink really bad. <laughs> and they all kind of just accepted me the way I was. But there's now that I've gone back to kind of living normally, I'm just like, wow, I don't know how I didn't shower for like 12 days at a time and didn't think anything of it. Cause you definitely do smell and you definitely like smell yourself <laughs> and you're just like, damn, that's bad. But every once in a while I still go back to those ways and I kind of, it's fun. It's definitely a different lifestyle. And most people are like, they find it really crazy and wild. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I was gone. I don't know. Like I just, I, I was turning you guys off, off this recording. I, I went to Walmart and I bought this stupid solar shower thinking that it was like, you know, a really good investment and, and it did not work. And then I ended up just, uh, you know, cause I'm not a small person whatsoever. So, uh, I just basically ended up just dumping bottles of water over me and, you know, washing, you know, my feet and whatnot. Cause my feet, yeah. oh my God, it's, they were a, a train wreck. 
but my mom and you know some family members and close friends that was the first thing they asked they're like wait a second how'd you shower i'm like i didn't like you know i definitely jumped in a, in a pond at one point but that was pretty much it and uh well yeah like you said your body just adjusts and you definitely go full hippie mode so yeah, yeah and it's a lot of fun um all right so what you know we've talked about some i don't know it's kind of funny because like when we talk about this stuff it's it, it it when you look back on it you're like when you're in it you're like man this sucks but when you look back on it it's a great story but what are those some of those moments where you're just like man this this stinks like this is just terrible what's uh maybe the worst part of uh of being a wildlife biologist and we'll start with you cat um the worst part for me was my first offshore trip um I was about 120 miles offshore in a 40-foot gill netter with, like, four large dudes that were, like, doing the fisheries, like, pulling up the gill nets and stuff. Um, it was a um, skate trip, which is, like, skates are kind of, like, raised, and they, like, slime the second they come on deck. So, like, the whole boat covered in slime were way offshore. It stormed way more than they thought it was going to for this tiny boat so like it was like 10 foot swells at some points and it was my first trip and I got very very seasick um yeah I got like I don't know it just hit me and I couldn't I couldn't even keep down water but like the thing is when you're out there you're out there and there's nothing you can do like I just had to like try to survive until until we got back to land um so like I was like, would drink a little bit of water to try to keep myself hydrated and then like immediately throw it up. Um, so it was like three days. I thought I was going to die <laughs> on that trip until we made it back to land. And I was like, I was so dehydrated, but, but I, it was so fun at the same time. Like it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's what I kind of gather from, you know, talking, talking to you guys all the time. You guys have some really great stories and, you know, some people kind of would probably look at it and be like, man, that, that's terrible. And other people yeah. are like, man, that's awesome. Brooke, how about you? What's uh, one of the, the, low, the low points of uh, being a wildlife biologist for you? Uh, when I was a wildlife technician with University of Idaho doing the sage-grass project, I will say working nights was fucking miserable. <laughs> I did a one straight every single night and we, we had to go around our, the moon, how the moon rose and set. Because, like, if the moon was up, the sage grass could see us better. Unless it was cloudy, then obviously that didn't matter. But on clear nights, it was if the moon was up, we couldn't be out there. So our work nights varied. Um, but half, most of the time, you started around, like, 8, 9 o'clock in the evening. And you went until about 6 in the morning. And this was during March of Idaho, which can be pretty cold at 7,000 feet. There's sometimes usually some snow still going around and there's definitely some nights that it's like 15 degrees. And the worst part is, is you're not finding the birds you're supposed to be finding. Nothing's happening. And you're just driving endlessly into the sagebrush in the middle of nowhere in darkness. And then you like try to go home, sleep for a few hours, try to take a nap later in the day. You're kind of a zombie. People aren't hearing from you because they're like, are you okay? It's like, well, maybe I don't really know to be honest with you because I've been working nights and like, you're just not living real life. But going back and looking on it, like it was terrible when I was in that situation. 
one of the best experiences I've ever had in my entire life. And there's definitely a lot of positives that I took from that job. And now when I talk to people about like that experience, I'm like, yeah, working nights suck, but I think everyone should try it at least once. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be, you know, that seems to be the theme here and, and we'll end on, uh, on this, you know, kind of go into a little bit more in depth of, you know, I feel like, you know, when you're in school to become, you know, a wildlife biologist or any kind of forestry or fishery, it's all about kind of taking some risk or taking some chances. Uh, elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, yeah. Either one of you. Go ahead. Whoever's got, no, the, got the first one. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, I don't know. I found this job by chance. Um, my the other job that I have now found me but like yeah it was a lot a pretty big risk for me to move um from Kansas to Rhode Island I didn't know anybody like my husband had to stay he was my fiance at the time had to stay in Kansas um to finish out our lease so like I literally just packed up my car and like drove across the country and I was there by myself I didn't know a single person um but it turned out to be so great like I would not be the person that I am if I hadn't taken that job. It was really, I learned a lot. Um, but then after that, I moved to Florida to do what I thought, what I was told would be the same job for a different contractor. And it totally fell through. And then we were like stranded in Florida. We had already signed a lease on a place. So it was like, well, we're here now. And like, my husband didn't have a job yet down in Florida. Um, and I was supposed to have that job, and then it was a whole mess, but it, um, the training kept getting delayed by, like, months and months and months, and so, like, and then when they finally did have the training, it turned out to not, not be a real great deal, um, and so that was a risk that we took, that I took, that fell through, um, but then I, um, I don't know. I made it. And now I'm here in Kansas and I'm back in the field and I have the backup skills. So like, honestly, that's what I found is like, take the risk because it's going to work out one way or another. Like, you know, it, it'll be worth it. Whatever. Even if it doesn't work out the way that you planned, like, I'm glad that I've done the things that I've done. All right. Well, that does it for this episode. We seem to have lost Brooke when she was probably making a really, really, really good uh, point. So um, I appreciate Brooke and Kata for being on the show today. Um, just a reminder, everybody who is listening, please like and share our podcast on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. Um, and as always, Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.